You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to our sixth edition of the Domecast. We thank you for listening. Uh, we have a great show for you this week. Uh, I, of course, am Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We are going to hear from a star-studded panel. We have Ben Brown and Pat Gannon of The Insider, Craig Jarvis and Colin Campbell of The News and Observer. A very busy week uh, in government and politics, which is what we look at on this podcast uh, in North Carolina. Uh, Busy week for Governor McCrory and at the legislature, and so let's get right into it. Uh, starting with Governor McCrory, uh, Craig Jarvis uh, of the News and Observer, he had a busy week, is it fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it was a busy week all around in politics, but he was, uh, he was in the thick of it. Every time you turn around, uh, there was the governor, and I think it really started with, uh, no sooner had we wrapped up last week's Domecast when he uh, issued his second veto of the so-called Ag-Ag bill, and then later that morning, uh, speaking to a group of <clears throat> businesses, business uh, representatives said that, uh, hinted that more vetoes were to come. So that set off a bunch of speculation. Was this, it, of course, followed the veto of the marriage bill. Right. Right, yeah. Right. And so people were wondering if maybe the abortion bill was on his veto list. But uh, he kind of surprised some people by announcing you know, that, he would, that he would sign it, that he felt like he had, uh, it was something he could go with. Uh, and as if that wasn't enough, he closed out the week yesterday, Thursday, with uh, pardons of uh, two men, Henry McCollum and Leon Brown, uh, who had once been death row inmates who were uh, uh, exonerated. And so uh, in the midst of all of that, of course, the governor, a lot of attention on really two aspects of that, Pat Gannon uh, with the insider, the, the marriage bill and the abortion bill. Uh, really social issues, in a way, came to the forefront uh, over the week. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and the governor has, has been on the record saying that, that he's not too keen on social issues. This isn't what he wants to be spending, wants the legislature to, to be spending all its time on. There's plenty written this week about how social issues were kind of the the topic of the week, um, the uh, the marriage bill, the, the same-sex marriage bill, which uh, was overridden by the Senate but not the House, and um, as well as the the abortion bill. So there's a lot of social issues going down. The governor wants the legislature to focus on um, the economy, and I think when you when you look at it all, kind of big picture, um, the governor's trying to exert some influence, I think, over a legislature that he's seen pretty much ignore or all but ignore his main agenda item so far this session, that being uh, $1.5 billion bond referendums for um, state buildings and and, uh, transportation projects around the state, uh, as well as economic incentives, which he and his Commerce Secretary John Scavarla want, uh, and um, uh, historic preservation tax credit that uh, his his cultural resources secretaries traveled around the state trying to uh, drum up um, interest in. Um, so none of those uh, things that the governor wants have been tackled uh, by the legislature, at least uh, they haven't passed yet. Um, probably some of them will end up in the budget when the budget is passed. Um, and we heard this week from House Speaker and uh, the Senate leader 
that that their caucuses are are, are lukewarm at best on the bond referendum um, uh, possibilities. We might see a smaller number uh, come out. They they really don't want the transportation one. I don't think they think that can be paid for in other ways than instead of borrowing. Um, there may be a little bit more stomach for you know uh, new state buildings or, or modernizing state buildings that kind of thing. And so a major uh, initiative of the governor, the bond package, lukewarm. Um, you know his tax uh, historic tax plan hasn't seen a lot going on that and then here he's having to deal with issues he really doesn't uh, uh, have a big appetite for Craig Jarvis even that's even came up at the uh, at the pardon announcement right where, where the, the governor was was expressing this uh, feeling yeah that's true he looked very uncomfortable uh having to defend the uh, abortion decision and he sort of chastised the reporters there for not spending more attention on uh, on the economic issues those kind of things so he's going to have to do an interesting balanced performance here uh where he's he's trying to win over the legislature for these projects but he wants to stake out his political position as a moderate and he's really been ramping up that uh he's underlined that quite a bit lately so, uh, you know, this this coming weekend, the uh, Republican state convention is happening. Uh, he's speaking there. That could be some kind of measure of of his uh, of, of how he's doing. Pack in and what kind of reception do you think the governor will uh, receive? One of the big uh, rumors going around rumors or to kind of talk in political circles this week from Republicans and Democrats have has been wondering whether the governor will will actually be booed. Um, there's some there's some people who have said that th they think it'll be kind of a mixture of of cheers and boos. I guess we'll see uh, for certain on Saturday afternoon what uh, you know how the Republicans and and a lot of the people that come to these conventions are are the the hardcore the hardcore yeah. Republicans. So we'll see what they really how they're uh, how they see how the governor's doing. That will be uh, interesting to watch. Of course. Uh, one of the things that happened was the one of the governor's over uh, uh, vetoes was overridden, and so as we head out into a break, let's listen to a little flavor of that debate. This would be the so-called ag gag uh, bill, a property uh, rights bill, if you will, um, and there was a little bit of debate, but it was easily overridden in the House and Senate in Raleigh this week and let's let's listen to uh, it was a Democrat uh, Pricey Harrison of uh, Greensboro who was urging uh, her fellow lawmakers to sustain the veto in fact there is my constituent pointed out to me that Upton Sinclair may not have been able to publish uh, the jungle he he got his job uh, as an undercover um, journalist um, disclosing the horrors that were taking place at meatpacking warehouses in the turn of the century I passed out a, um, a list of the diversity of groups that are, that are opposed to House Bill 405, otherwise known as the Ag Ag Bill, and uh, urge you to sustain the governor's veto. And these are quite diverse. This is a complete list. It's just, just an example of the groups. And they range from veterans groups to domestic violence groups, to AARP, to labor, to news outlets, to animal welfare organizations, and environmental groups. They're all concerned that an individual who d discloses illegal activity on the behalf of its employer will become um, subject to the penalties in this suit, and this will stifle 
otherwise um, important information getting out. And I think in this era, when we continue to cut back on the funding of the agencies that are charged with in performing these investigations, we increasingly rely on citizens and activists to let us know about what's going on that's wrong. So I urge you to sustain the governor's veto. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Domecast, our weekly look backwards and forwards on all things in government and politics in North Carolina. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. I'm here now with Colin Campbell of the News and Observer and Ben Brown of the Insider. And of course, the legislature, it wasn't just McCrory this past week, the legislature taking up a lot of interesting uh, bills and debate and decisions. And Colin Campbell, probably the biggest is something they haven't done yet, which is uh, relates to the Senate bill, to the marriage uh, bill, and the possibility of an override of the governor's veto of that bill. Colin, tell us, uh, there was a lot of jockeying around that. What, uh, what, what was going on last week, and uh, where might that be headed? Well, that bill got overridden in the Senate pretty quickly. They took it up Monday night and without really much debate at all, uh, easily got the three-fifths majority that's necessary to override. So the Senate's done with it. Uh, It then went to the House where uh, they've moved a lot more slowly because the vote is just so close. uh, The original vote was barely above that three-fifths majority, and there were a bunch of people absent. And now it looks like there's some people who might be uh, possibly on the fence, maybe changing their mind about the bill. So the concern now is, does Speaker Tim Moore have enough votes to successfully override the governor? And it appeared on the calendar uh, twice this week. It was on for Wednesday, and then it was on for Thursday, and they, they didn't take it up. When I asked uh, the rules chairman, David Lewis, yesterday, uh, you know, why delay this, he said, well, look, we've got, you know, several absences within the Republican caucus. We want us all here to to discuss it, give some folks time to get legal advice about different aspects of it. Um, but when I then looked at the voting records for yesterday, uh, Thursday, there were only two Republicans absent. So that really tells you they've got to have all hands on deck in order to successfully override this thing. So they're likely going to be in limbo for a while, potentially a few more days uh, as they get the right uh, mix of folks in the room because it really is it's a three-fifths majority of people present not the total 120 member house in, in order to override the governor's veto so there's some questions as to whether this veto override will go through or not and so uh, speaker Tim Moore uh, he didn't use the phrase uh, veto garage but uh, but he is obviously counting noses and we could see uh, something done on that in the coming uh, few days. Is that right? Yeah, Moore's uh, preferred term apparently is veto opportunity zone, and that's sort of a, a nod to this veto garage uh, concept that Speaker Tom Tillis had, where he would uh, hold on to a governor's veto for sometimes months at a time, waiting for just the right mix of people to be in the room, perhaps a, a number of Democrats who gone out to get a cup of coffee or something and uh, and then take the vote at that time when uh, the, the right numbers were there. So we'll see if uh, Speaker Moore does that. Uh, as Lewis was telling me, it's going to be on the calendar every single day 
uh, until there's either a vote taken or Speaker Moore decides that he's not going to take a vote, that they're just going to let the governor's uh, veto stand. And even the governor has been uh, in some way encouraging uh, the House to go ahead and take a vote. Of course, that wasn't the only uh, thing going on this past week. There was uh, votes and sending on to the governor an environmental bill. Uh, they they weighed in on alcohol, um, allowing distilleries to uh, sell to uh, a visitor, uh, right, to, to take a, a, a bottle of, of uh, booze home with them. Is that right, Colin? Yeah, so that's uh, something that uh, the very rapidly growing craft distillery movement in North Carolina was uh, pushing for. Uh, they were saying, look, look we've um, giving these great tours. Tourists are coming in wanting to see how we, we make our liquor, whiskey, whatever it may be. Uh, but then we have to send them, in some cases, up to 45 minutes away to the nearest ABC store that's uh, state-controlled to actually buy something to take home. So we, we're not really getting that much out of it. So it's been presented as a jobs bill. There's also some other aspects to it where you could uh, uh, buy growlers of uh, cider or wine instead of just beer. Um, they banned powdered alcohol, which is this uh, considered very dangerous new form of consuming alcohol. So it's just sort of an, a blanket alcohol bill headed to the governor's desk now. And of course, there are some who worry uh, and really they like the system of a controlled sale of alcohol and they worry that that something like that allowing a wider wider uh, distribution uh, is a slippery slope and so that'll be interesting to see how that that plays out and of course uh, Ben Brown of the insider there was a a really interesting bill now headed to the governor uh, related to how we elect judges uh, tell us about that yeah, that's uh, House Bill 222. It would set up retention elections for sitting state Supreme Court justices upon the request. So if I'm a Supreme Court justice and I want to serve another term, I can request a retention election in which the voters would give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on the ballot. If the electorate likes me, I continue serving. If they don't, then the seat's vacated and the governor gets to appoint someone. And after that, it's the uh, the usual elections process. And it got to be pretty controversial uh, for two main reasons, one having to do with changes the Senate made to the bill. Uh, real quick, the proponents like how simple the process is, and they say the electorate will look at the performance of judges that we have serving, and it's a step toward getting us out of these expensive judicial elections. Opponents don't like the idea of uncontested races. You know, this would make the incumbent the one name on the ballot, um, basically uncontested, unless you make the argument that they're you know running against themselves or, or their records or what have you. So. Uh, the more fiery controversy was that the bill at first would have covered appeals court judges, too. Uh, the Senate changed it and made it only for Supreme Court justices, which led Democrats to say, you know, hold up, this is just political maneuvering to give favor to one person, a Republican, Justice uh, uh, Robert Edmonds. He's the one who's up for election in 2016, and this legislation would be in effect at that time. Uh, Democrats in the House and the Senate brought this up. Um, of course, you know, the thing to point out is that Ed, uh, Edmonds would be, he would have faced a retention election under either proposal of the bill, the, the House version as well. But uh, Representative Rick Glazier, Democrat from Cumberland County, said it means that, you know, Edmonds is simply going to face a different process than anyone else will next year when it comes to elections. Uh, nonetheless, it passed, going to the governor for signing. Yeah, and, and it would be a surprise if he pulls out the veto on that one. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Yeah. Um, so coming ahead in the in the next week, of course, the budget uh, will 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 come back into focus. We're sure of that. Um, 
There, the gun bill is uh, likely to get some attention uh, in the coming week, and we will be on, uh, I guess, can we call it override watch? Yeah, override watch. If you care about this particular issue, you'd better be at the legislature every day next week until they take a vote or decide they're not going to. And 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 there was some uh, so override watch, and of course the question of when when it's actually held, when the vote is held, an open question. And so as we head out into a break, let's listen to a little uh, flavor of that. Uh, Colin, bring us up to speed. Um, the, there was some some exchange on the floor about this. Uh, help help set that up, and then we'll head to a break. Yeah, this was uh, the Democrats were concerned about the fact that the Senate Bill Two override vote appeared on the agenda and was never taken up, and they're pointing to a, a constitutional argument uh, as to why it needs to be done quickly rather than uh, delayed indefinitely. And so this is uh, Representative Greer Martin asking the question, posing it to uh, Representative Paul Stam, who was presiding over the chamber at that moment. Very good, and we'll be back in in one second as we listen to Greer Martin and uh, Skip Stam on an override. I note on our calendar we do have for reconsideration of vetoed bill, Senate Bill 2. Our state constitution, Article 2, Section 22, that says that upon receipt of a vetoed bill from the governor, we are required, quote, to proceed to reconsider it, end quote. My inquiry is, when are we going to proceed to reconsider it? We'll proceed to reconsider when we proceed to reconsider. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital. And they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. And welcome back to the Domecast. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We are into a segment we call Headliners of the Week. I give each of our panelists 45 seconds. I've even come up with a bell here. I'll, <laughs> I may not get to use it, so I got to use it. Did that come up? I hope it did. 45 seconds to uh, nominate and argue for a Headliner of the Week. And uh, at the end, we'll pick. We'll pick somebody just for fun. So tell me, Colin Campbell of the News and Observer, who is your headliner of the week? Well, I'm going with State Senator Buck Newton, the uh, Republican from Wilson. He announced on Monday that he's going to be seeking the uh, Republican nomination to run for attorney general next year um, and spent... I think about a 16 or 18 hour day on Monday going across the state city to city uh, announcing his run and uh, going on the offensive against current Attorney General Roy Cooper, who's expected not to seek another term as that, but to run for governor. Uh, and this was effectively the very first uh, announcement of the uh, official 2016 campaign season. Of course, Cooper and McCrory have been attacking each other, but neither are official candidates yet. Uh, Buck Newton jumping out there in front and being the first uh, official candidate uh, for a statewide major election next year in a very competitive race, uh, too. We expect uh, him to run against Josh, Josh Stein, who has not yet announced, but uh, will probably very soon. Oh, I got you right. I think you were done. Yeah, it was perfect timing. Darn. Okay, well, I just wanted to hit the bell. Um, so Buck Newton for going ahead and getting his name out there as an attorney general candidate. Tell me, uh, Ben Brown of The Insider, who is your headliner 
of the week. I'm going to go with Leo Daughtry. He criticized the bill concurrence process at a committee meeting this week, basically beefing with the Senate on sending back a bill. This is the alcohol bill that we talked about in the last segment. Um, sending back a bill that was dramatically expanded from the original House version. Um, the bill started out as a one-provision bill dealing with antique spiritus liquor. The House passes it, then it comes back as what Daughtry calls a Christmas tree bill with a bunch of different provisions, some of which never went through the House, and now the House is being asked to concur without the House ABC committee having the power to vet its individual content. So he says that's a bad process. He sort of made a point of that at the committee meeting, but it led to a punchline on the House floor when Representative Skip Stam made a sarcastic motion to split the bill up into eight different parts for concurrence, and the House Speaker just as sarcastically denied him. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Leo Daughtry, headliner of the week. So let's uh, go now to, I see Craig Jarvis uh, of the News and Observer here. Craig, tell me, who is your headliner of the week? I'm going to beat the bell this week. Uh, I'm going to nominate dual headliners. That would be the half-brothers, Henry McCollum and Leon Brown, who the governor pardoned. As far as we know, the first pardons of people who'd been on death row uh, in our times. These guys spent about three decades excuse me, three decades in prison. They're now eligible for $750,000 each. Politically, we'll see where this goes. Uh, The NAACP and death penalty opponents are calling on the governor to make an official moratorium on what has been a de facto moratorium on capital punishment. Uh, Meanwhile, for the last couple of years, the Republicans in the legislature have been making a strong push to jumpstart the death penalty. Oh, I did not get to. I did not get to hit the bell. Okay, so um, McCollum and Brown, headliners of the week, pardoned by the governor. That brings us to Pat Gannon of the Insider. You have forty-five seconds. Who is your headliner of the week? I'm going with uh, headliners by committee as well. Um, in the uh, override vote for Senate Bill 2, the, the bill that would allow magistrates and Register of Deeds employees to recuse themselves from, from performing marriages or issuing marriage licenses if they're opposed to the type of marriage that's uh, going to take place, in other words, same-sex marriages. Um, there were three Republicans who, who voted not to override the, the governor's veto. That was uh, John Alexander of Wake County, Jeff Tart of Charlotte, and um, Fletcher Hartzell of Cabarrus County. And then uh, there was one Democrat, Ben Clark, who voted for the override. Um, he was the only Democrat to do so. So political courage. They bucked their party. Bucked the party. Four lawmakers grouped together as your headliners of the week. True. Okay, so this is the moment. Uh, everyone has been waiting for where we decide who the headliner of the week is. And I think it's uh, pretty clear this week that Leon Brown and Henry McCollum are the headliners of the week, literally making the front page of the News and Observer this week on a day of tremendous news uh, at the University of North Carolina. And really, you don't see death row inmates uh, pardoned. We, as far as we know, that has not occurred in North Carolina and uh, the governor took a lot of time making that decision, faced uh, uh, criticism even from the prosecutor who originally uh, prosecuted them, though the current prosecutor uh, wholeheartedly agreed with the pardon. And so uh, as we head out, our headliners of the week are the two 
uh, half-brothers who were pardoned. And let's listen to Governor McCrory uh, reading a statement uh, announcing his pardon of innocence, his second and third as governor. And thank you for listening as we head out, and we will see you on Jones Street. Many individuals were contacted and interviewed, and I met personally with Mr. McCollum and Mr. Brown prior to making this decision. It is difficult for anyone to know for certain what happened the night of Sabrina Bowie's murder. My deepest sympathies go out to the family of Sabrina Bowie for what they have endured. I also know that there are differing opinions about this case and who is responsible. This has been a very comprehensive and thoughtful process during the past nine months. And based upon the available evidence that I have personally reviewed, I am granting pardons of innocence to Henry McCollum and Leon Brown. It is the right thing to do. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.